he has a boob in each hand and he's kissing between her boobs and breathing heavily. You guys couldn't see this, but Cam just definitely mimed a boob in each hand. (laughs) (laughs) He went, a boob in each hand. I even gave a little honka. (laughs) What can I say? I'm a fan of boobs in my hands. Hello, and welcome to Franchise Frights Podcast 2024 edition. Oh my goodness. It's a whole new year. Yeah. Actually, today is January 1st. It is. We are recording on the first day of the new year. We are. Isn't that fancy? Because we're so far behind. Yes, we're very far behind. (laughs) I have to record and edit this one today. Yeah. COVID sucks. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> our Christmas was interesting. Yeah. Uh, the Friday before Christmas, our son's first day of his Christmas break from school, he was feeling pretty crappy, and then I started feeling pretty crappy that afternoon, mm-hmm. and then that night, he started feeling even worse, so he tested himself, and he was positive. Well, his temperature spiked to 102, and that's when I was like, um... (laughs) Maybe it's time to test. Something's not right here. So he was positive. I took a test right after him, and I was negative, but I had all the same symptoms starting on the same day, so we just kind of assumed that I had a false negative, and I felt like crap for five days. And I'm awesome. Yeah. Mandy didn't even get the sniffles. Nope. Nothing. Negative test. I'm so good, which is crazy because I'd been sick like. Because you were typhoid Mandy for like, what, the last four months of the year? Yeah. But yeah, we're healthy now and we get to record. Mm -hmm. My voice is back to normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, as normal (laughs) as it was before. Yeah. I still sound like a nine-year-old boy, but. Yeah. A nine-year-old boy with a smoker's cough. Do you think people get our voices confused? Uh, When they first start listening, they're like. So which one's the girl? Which one's the girl? <laughs> it's the one that says fuck all the time. Yeah. Fuck, fuckity fuck. <laughs> oh, we're coming in hot on the new year. Oh, yeah. Um, Speaking of new things, we have stickers and business cards, kiddos. We're so fancy. So how about this? If you want a sticker, you send us a DM with your mailing address, and we will send you five business cards. And a sticker, but you have to promise to put the five business cards in the hands of a horror fan slash podcast listener or in a high traffic area such as a gas pump or a a... gas pump. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like people like tuck them into the screen. Oh, I've never seen people do that. Oh, really? No. Oh, I found business cards there before. Oh, I was picturing like a bulletin board at a gas station. Yes, that would work too. Yeah. Or like. The bulletin board at a bowling alley. Or you know what? When you go out to eat 
leave it as a tip. Yeah, that'd be great too. But leave a good tip with it. Yeah, don't just leave the business no, card as a tip. That's not nice. No. Tip um, your servers. Yeah. So how's, the, it, how's everybody's New Year's resolutions going? You're four days in. That's right. I think mine are probably doing okay four days in. <laughs> we'll check next week when we're 11 days in. I always wonder because people start off so strong and then like. And then it fizzles. Yeah. I'm going month by month with resolutions this year instead of being like, I'm going to quit doing this forever. Yeah. I'm just going to try to go, you know, 30 to 31 days at a time. That's good. This month is no soda month. Oh, no. I don't. I, it, did you want a sip of my soda? I really would like one, <laughs> but no. I'm going to stay strong. Uh, you just had a major life change. I did. That's what I was going to say is like, I already did my resolution for the year. You did. I quit my job. But you have another one. I have another job. Yeah. You're not just going to be like a bum. Well, I was going to be a professional podcaster. Isn't that enough? You know, manifest it. Yeah. You know, put it out in the universe. That would be nice. I like that idea. But yeah. So my 40th birthday goal was to get a new job and... I have accomplished it. You have. I start work the day after tomorrow. And your job has a dog. And I have a dog. My coworker is a dog. And he looks like a very good boy. Yeah. And I don't even work in a vet. No. No, like I'm working for a construction company, but my coworker is a dog. Yeah, you get to be an office manager and you get to have a dog as a coworker. It's, I could not have picked a better job for myself. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm very jealous. I know. It's so exciting. I still just have to run my stinky machine. Yeah. It pays really well, I was going to say, it pays well. And I get five weeks of vacation yeah. and 11 paid holidays. Yeah. I can't complain too much. No. I... Except I come home really stinky. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else in our personal news? I don't think so. We covered the COVID. We covered the business cards and stickers. We covered your new career. Mm-hmm. I have some horror movie news. Would you, you like to hear it? Yeah, because I don't have any. There's a new horror comedy coming out called Vampires of the Velvet Lounge. It's actually being filmed now. It stars Stephen Dorff, Mina Savari, and Tyrese Gibson. Oh my goodness. The plot is a coven of bloodsuckers struggles to come to terms with the modern world and their own mortality as they are locked in a battle with a deadly foe. It's being called a mix of Shaun of the Dead and From Dusk Till Dawn. With all has-beens. Don't you ever call Stephen Dorff a has-been. What has he been in? The Gate. Recently. Blade. (laughs) 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 They came out in what, like 97? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, they were all like hot names in their time, but it's not 1997 anymore. Hey, Tyrese, he's still got that Fast and the Furious check coming. Is he still in the new ones? I think so. I don't know. I haven't seen I don't either. Nine or X. That's all the horror movie news I have. Do not watch Till Death Do Us Part. Oh, that was <laughs> We watched it for what, twenty three minutes? Yeah. It's on Prime Video. Don't don't watch it. I was happy to see Cam Gigande. Yeah. But And Jason Patrick was in it too. Was he? Yeah. Who was he? So the old couple that was at the bar. Oh, I didn't know because he had sunglasses. He had sunglasses on it, yeah. But that was Jason Patrick. Oh, that's why I was like, it's got like somewhat kind of famous people in it. Yeah, and it 
said it was made by the people who did a uh, Final Destination. But it wasn't good. No. It just kept getting worse. We kept waiting for something to happen. Oh, things happened. Yeah. That lady danced. We don't often shut off a movie, but we vetoed that one last night. We uh watched Hell House LLC Origins. Mm-hmm. That was it was okay. It was entertaining. We some, didn't shut it off. Some good scary stuff in yes. it. Yes. It was it was skin crawling. Yes. It was creepy. It was one of those movies that like right after you're done with it, you kind of like check around the corner mm-hmm. before you step into a room. And then right after that, I played the mortuary assistant for three and a half hours. Yeah. And that kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. Eee. It's fun. I might get into that tonight. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. It's so spooky. <laughs> <laughs> what movie are we talking about? We are talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Yes, we are. It's um, it's an experience. It's a movie. <laughs> As our son would say, it is one of the movies of all time. Yes. Do you want to do the facts and figures sure. or do you want me to? I can. So it was released on November 1st, 1985. It has a runtime of 87 minutes. Couldn't even make it to that full 90. Just that 87. Would you really want it to be longer, though? No, it was plenty long enough how it is. (laughs) It was directed by Jack Shoulder, written by David Chaskin, produced by Robert Shea, starring Mark Patton, Kim Myers, Robert Rousset? I think it's Wrestler. Okay. Clue Gul... How do you even say that name? Clue Gulager. (laughs) That's a name. It is. (laughs) Hope Lange and Robert England. Um, cinematography was by Jacques Hatkin, <laughs> Hatkin, Hatkin, and Christopher Tufty. Music by Christopher Young. Production companies were New Line Cinema, Heron Communications, and Smart Egg Pictures. Distributed by New Line Cinema. It had a budget of $3 million and a box office of $30 million. So that's like $8.5 million now. For the budget and eighty-five million for the box office. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a five point four on IMDb, a forty-two percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and a thirty-three percent audience score. How does this have a higher higher critic score than audience score? I think because it really tried to do a lot, and they had really good practical effects. Yeah, the audience score we'll get into later. Okay. Because I think it's a lot of probably homophobes. Yeah. I'm going to defend this movie tooth and nail, by the way. Okay. So just be ready for every time you say something negative, I'll be like, no, but Mandy. I I don't necessarily have negative things to say about it. I just wish it wasn't a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I can see that. I've already told you this, but it's been a couple weeks ago. We'll get into it later, but. Yeah. Uh, The Rotten Tomatoes critics consensus. I love these so much. I know. They're fun. An intriguing subtext of repressed sexuality gives Freddy's revenge some texture, but the nightmare loses its edge in a sequel that lacks convincing performances or memorable scares. Pretty accurate. I agree. I had a hard time finding um, reviews of this. Yeah, I, I only got two, yeah. and I think I pulled both of them off Wikipedia. Yeah. So I have one from TV TV Guide magazine, and it didn't credit a writer, so... If you're out there, I'm sorry. I would give you credit, but your own magazine didn't didn't (laughs) 
<laughs> um, they said, a worthy successor to the original movie, Nightmare Part 2 is surprisingly optimistic and moral. The power of love and kindness wins out over evil and violence, something not often seen in modern horror films. I like that review. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty spot on. Yeah. Janet Maslin of the New York Times said, Clever special effects, a good leading performance, and a villain so chatty he practically makes this a human interest story. Uh, they also said, Mr. Patton and Miss Myers are likable teenage heroes, and Mr. England actually turns Freddy into a welcome presence. Mm. That's a pretty glowing review for yeah. an 80s slasher flick. Y- yeah. And I don't know that we really got that much Freddy in this. Like, as far as being chatty. He talked to Jesse a little bit. A little bit. bit, but not much. No. Kim Newman of Empire said this hastily produced sequel ignores the dream stalking premise that made A Nightmare on Elm Street successful and reverts to the overfamiliar possession story. You know, I've never thought of that, but. 100%. Yeah. That's why this, these are the issues I have with the movie. Because he's not a dream demon now. He's no. A, I'm going to possess you and come to the real world, boy. Yeah. Variety said, again, no writer credited. Mm-hmm. Episodic treatment is punched up by an imaginative imaginative series of special effects. The standout, a grisly chestburster set piece. Oh. Yeah. It is a chestburster. It is a chestburster, and I like it. <laughs> do you want to do you have more? Or? I, I have one more. Sorry, I said I had two. I've had I know three. You, you lied. Again. No writer credited. That's weird. People Magazine called it a tedious, humorless mess. Yeah, I won't argue. I don't like it. I know. Mandy, what were your initial impressions of this film? I don't recall having watched this, although you might have made me watch it like 100 years ago. I think we watched it when we were at our old house in Haverhill. Really? I was thinking like Lincoln Street House. For some reason. Maybe. But after researching it beforehand, I'm kind of excited going into it. And Cracked.com named it one of the five most unintentional gay horror movies of all time. (laughs) They said there's nothing logical that can explain the level of homoeroticism in this movie. And then I put, so now I'm kind of excited to watch it. it. It was definitely a groundbreaker. Yeah. Because I think they meant a lot of it as subtext, but they didn't play it off as subtext. They didn't bury it very deeply. No. You scratch the surface (laughs) and there it is. So my initial impressions are long. This movie is super important to me because it is the first horror movie I ever watched. Oh. Uh, My mom and dad went out with my best friend's parents. Mm -hmm. And so my best friend got to come over to my house and my sister was watching us and she had one of her friends there and they rented a whole stack of horror videos and I think they thought they were going to scare us out of the room. Mm -hmm. And my friend Nick and I just sat there and stared at the screen and we're like, this is our lives now. I I don't think that often happens. I think this is how you get horror fans, people. You're not going to scare kids (laughs) out of it. They're just intrigued. So I absolutely loved it. And a couple of weeks later, the original was on and I was watching it and my dad walked in the room and he was like, you can't watch this because I was. I was going to say, how old do you think you were? Five or six. Oh, my gosh. 
And uh, I told him, it's okay, I've already seen part two. <laughs> and he looked at my sister just glaring daggers and he goes, oh, he has, has he? And this is, you've never known this about me, Mandy. Okay. My horror friends and I, when I was growing up and in my formative years, we all had horror movie girlfriends. Oh. And Lisa was mine. Oh, really? Yes. That's, I like Lisa. And so th- this movie holds another special place in my heart because that was my first girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's not a good movie and it really strays from the original, but I love it so much. I think it just has sentimental value for you. Yeah. Every, like, time, I I it. Wa- every time I watch it, I just get that little pitter pat. Yeah. So you want to dive on into some plot? I, yeah, let's go for it. What are you doing? Vaping, bro. <laughs> so we open with a school bus driving down the street. A nightmare on Elm Street is slashed into the screen. And so is Freddy's Revenge. Not Electric Boogaloo. Not Electric Boogaloo. Um, the bus stops at a corner and drops off a couple teens. We see Robert England sans Freddy makeup is a school bus driver. Inside the bus are a bunch of high school students. There's one kid that has his hair all slicked back and he looks super uncomfortable. And I think they tried to make him like the prototypical 1950s movie dork, but they forgot the taped glasses. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. There's um two totally as if popular girls. Totally. And they're sitting next to each other and they're gossiping and laughing. Uh, The bus makes a couple more stops and everyone gets off the bus except for the three of them. The girls think that the guy is fun to laugh at and they keep joking at each other that, oh, that's your boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, those dickish things that kids do on the bus. Yeah. Um, One of the girls mentions that they're coming up to her house, but then the bus just speeds on by. And the girl cheerfully yells, hey, driver, that was my stop. Yeah. And she looks like, oh, my gosh, you silly old bus driver. Yeah, but the bus doesn't stop and instead just keeps speeding down the road until it hits a T intersection. And then it just keeps on going straight into the desert, into the desert. (laughs) It's an off road bus. Yes. And he's like, he's like, you know what? I watched the Baja 1000 or whatever it is, (laughs) and I want to try it out with my bus. Yeah. And he does. Um, So the girls start panicking, asking what's going on. Why won't you stop? And then this camera pans to the front of the bus and we see Freddy's gloved hand is now on the shifter. And this is when I made a note about the score. It really kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. It was like Chuck Mangione did his own version of the poltergeist theme. (laughs) And it just doesn't work. Yeah. Like, don't play me some flugelhorn music. (laughs) Um, The sky starts turning a weird color and then lightning starts flashing. The bus finally comes to a stop. But then the ground slash sand all around the bus starts caving in. And then suddenly the bus is teetering on two rock columns that are like 50 feet in the air. Yeah. It looks scary. It does look scary. Um, Everything outside is turned red and it feels very hellish. Mm -hmm. It looks like they're about to drop into hell. Like into a pit of something. Yeah. Uh, Freddy stands up and the two girls cower towards the back of the bus while screaming, oh my God. But this causes the bus's balance to shift and one of the rock columns comes crashing down. And now the bus is literally a seesaw. And I noted here, too, that it was kind of this is just kind of the start 
of everything where you're like, the main character in this movie is different. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this is like 1985. It's a male character. Yeah. And he was crying. Yeah. Like he was he, openly ca- crying. He's cowering, whimpering. Like, yeah. yeah. It, like it just didn't feel normal for the time. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait a minute. He's crying. Boys don't cry. Yeah. They wouldn't have put that in a movie. No. As Freddy approaches them, he drags his glove along the seat and then- Such a good visual. And then scrapes it on the ceiling. I hate the Freddy. Yeah, there's a lot of screechy. Yeah, I don't like it. So the three teens are huddled near the emergency exit as Freddy walks towards them and gets closer and closer. And then we cut to a tomato being cut. Which I like a lot. (laughs) The knife cutting through the soft flesh of the tomato. Yeah. A family is gathered around the kitchen table eating breakfast, and suddenly there is a blood-curdling scream. The little girl asks the mom, why can't Jesse wake up like everyone else? (laughs) Valid question. She just, like, owned her brother so hard. (laughs) So we cut to a teen boy waking up in bed. It's the same kid from the bus, except now he's shirtless and absolutely drenched in sweat. It looks like they covered him in vegetable oil. (laughs) Yes. And they were like, okay, now wake up. Uh, His room is filled with moving boxes. And then there's a weird shot of him standing up and then tucking. Adjusting the package inside his tidy whities (laughs) Yes. It's odd. Um, And then I put, okay, I'm starting to see what the critics were talking about. Well, and the the shrieking scream that he gives. He is a good screamer, though. I will give him like... He gives an ultimate scream queen scream. He has a final girl scream. He does. It's it's he's good. And that was another thing that you just kind of get clued in. You're like, this is a little different, isn't it? Yeah. Boys don't scream out loud like that. Yeah. So now we cut back to the kitchen and Jesse, the main character boy, walks by the open doorway with two empty moving boxes. And the dad is very pleased that he has unpacked a little bit more from his room and he wants the rest of that room unpacked by tonight. I put that. I don't understand parents like this. Like, you clean that room, boy. There's a door on his room. Yeah, if you don't want to see it, close it. Mm-hmm. It, if he wants to live in filth, that's his decision. I also made a note about the parents here. Mm-hmm. The dad looks like he is straight out of like Leave It to Beaver. Yes, like he is straight out of like 1961. Mm-hmm. With the horn-rimmed glasses and the pocket protector and the... Well, I have a lot of thoughts on the dad, too. And he seems like he's like 58 years old. And I think maybe he's a little too old to have a daughter who's 10. Yeah. No, you can have kids until you're forever if you're a man. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) And the mom is very much like the early 70s. Um prototypical tv mom eh. like she really gives me some like carol brady vibes kind of she feels 80s to me though she could be an early 80s mom really yeah she's I got just... the mom jeans on <laughs> i just felt like like her persona was very 1972 tv mom yeah well especially like she cooks them breakfast every morning yeah and it's like eggs and tomato slices yeah. and Okay, anyway, sorry, I digress a lot. It's okay. So Angie, the little sister, she's digging around inside a cereal box trying to get the Fu Man fingers because she's eating Fu Man Chew. (laughs) 
The mom asks Jesse if everything's okay, and he says he's just having a lot of trouble sleeping because it's so hot up there. And the mom tells the dad, you should really call about getting that AC fixed. And he says, there's nothing wrong with it. It just needs a shot of Freon. And Jesse doubts his father's fix-it abilities. Mm -hmm. And dad fires back at him with typical male bravado. So we're not 10 minutes in, and we've already gotten our first scene of toxic masculinity. That's The dad is toxic masculinity. He is. That's, he's so macho. But he's also such a dork but he's such a dork yeah and they show that like later on when he's on the ladder and he's yeah. like oh, i'm i'm a man man and then he like almost falls off the ladder like, and he has his tall socks and his short shorts <laughs> yes <laughs> I, th- I think he has underlying feelings too i think so yeah and also why were parents of like or Men of our parents' generation. There, I got that sentence out. <laughs> Why were they so obsessed with fixing things themselves? I don't know, because I'm kind of like that, too. They're like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> We're not going to call somebody about it. And then they go out and they buy the wrong parts. Yeah. And they replace the wrong parts. It still doesn't work. Then they break the thing that they were trying to fix. Then you have to call a repairman yeah. anyway. And instead of spending $600, you spent $1,100. It's true. Just call the professional. Man, I digressed again. (laughs) I got my soapbox handy today. You do. So Angie's found the cereal prize, and she shows off her new long plastic fingernails, and this gives Jesse the oogans, as it reminds him of his scary dream. The doorbell rings, and Jesse says, that's Lisa. Dad apparently doesn't know about Lisa, and he seems very concerned about his baby boy fraternizing. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, whoa, who's Lisa? Which he should be excited about. Yes. So Jesse opens the door and I wrote, a drop dead gorgeous 80s girl is waiting for him. I like that they showed her from the back to start with because like you almost think it could be Nancy for a second. Yeah. Like the way her hair styled. I don't know if that was their intention, Mm -hmm. but you're like, oh, is that Nancy? Well, and she's wearing the collared shirt. But then she turns around and it's Meryl Streep Jr., Oh, it is. You never realized that? Maybe that's why I've always had a thing for Meryl Streep. She is Meryl Streep Jr. She is. Like, I looked up, because I know Meryl Streep has daughters that act, Mm -hmm. and I looked it up just to make sure it wasn't (laughs) one of them, because they look so much alike. No, it's just the gorgeous Kim Myers. Mm -hmm. So they walk to Jesse's car, and he doesn't have a key for his car. He starts it by flipping a switch and pressing a button. And she says... Aren't you worried somebody could steal your car? And he goes, what, the deadly dinosaur? <laughs> I like that. Because I had a car named the Ghetto Cruiser. Yeah. We're at the school now, and it's gym class time. The girls are doing archery, and the boys are playing softball, and a studly-looking boy named Grady steps up to the plate with cheers from his buddies. He must be the popular boy. Oh, Yeah. Lisa's friend asks if Lisa's getting any from Jesse while she's straddling her bow. <laughs> it was very sexual. Uh, Lisa poo-poos her and says, he's just my ride to school. So Jesse's busy looking at Lisa instead of keeping his head in the game, and Grady rips one straight to him, and it tags him in the head. He goes down, and the gym teacher comes over and half-heartedly checks on him. <laughs> he's like, are you okay? And Jesse tells him, yeah, I'm fine. And then he's like, Pay attention next time. Mm-hmm. So we have the stereotypical gym teacher of the 80s. Yes. Grady pats Jesse on the cheek and teases him. 
about his heads-up play. The next batter comes up and rips one into the outfield. Grady had too much of a lead. He can't get back to tag up when the outfielder throws the ball. Jesse and the third baseman catch him in a rundown. And Jesse tags Grady out and then says, Heads up play, Grady. So Grady's manhood has been insulted. <laughs> so he depances Jesse, exposing his bare butt due to the jock strap he's wearing. Yes. I am so glad compression shorts became a thing. Mm -hmm. Jock straps, not the way to go. No, they're not flattering on anyone. Well, why do you want your ass hanging out? <laughs> so the pantsing triggers a fight between Grady and Jesse, and they roll in the dirt for a long time while Jesse's butt is still out. And it, it looks like maybe they're not quite fighting. Mm -hmm. Also, just cheap move by Grady. Yeah. Let the guy pull his pants up before you fight. Yeah. So now Jesse and Grady are getting punished by Coach Schneider. They have to plank outside. Okay. He comes over and barks at them. Assume the position. Uh-huh. Which I put has BDSM written all over it. Oh, yes. And uh, then he makes them plank and he's just standing in his office smoking, watching them suffer. Yeah. And also... Oh, the 80s when the gym teacher smoked and smoked in their office <laughs> during school hours. Jesse asks Grady while they're outside, like, how long is he going to keep us out here? And Grady tells him, could be all night. Guy gets his rocks off like this. He hangs out at queer S&M joints downtown and he likes pretty boys like you. I put, I was right. Yes. Um. Also, we are going to use some... Not proper nomenclature. Yeah. Some not quite PC terms because the movie uses them. And it's 1985. Yeah. And that is not how we feel about things. No, not at all. We are allies and. We love all people. We do. Grady asks if Jesse is getting any from that rich babe you've been cru cruising to school with every day. And it kind of seems like they've bonded through their corporal punishment. They're like, hey, we fought. A little bit. I told you I have th th their relationship is weird. But their fight was even kind of playful. I, I can't tell if they're friends. Or I think they're frenemies. If they're frenemies. Uh, but it's also like they're best of friends. I know. It's weird. I don't understand. In the locker room, Grady asks where Jesse lives, and he tells him they just bought a house on Elm Street. And then Grady's like, huh, you can tell your daddy's a real chump. Because he knows the house on Elm Street, the mm. one with the bars and the windows. Mm -hmm. So he fills him in on the history, and uh, Jesse doesn't believe him. He's like, this guy's just screwing with me. Yeah. So he stomps away, and Grady just gives a shrug and moves on with his day. <laughs> so we cut to that night. We see the outside of the house with the bars on the windows. The front door seems to have been replaced, mm -hmm. but it still has bars on the window. Yeah. Jesse is tossing and turning in bed. His room is still not unpacked. No. And he gives up on sleeping and goes downstairs. He opens the fridge and grabs a bottle of OJ and drops it on the floor. And it breaks. And he's like, oh, man. But I noticed that Jesse was wearing shoes just to go downstairs and get a drink. Oh, I didn't notice he had shoes on. Yep. This is where I went off on the tangent about him wearing a purple like scrub shirt. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that this was a thing. I didn't know people wore scrub shirts in the 80s. I don't know if it was a thing for everybody, 
But I know that it wasn't my family because they were all EMTs and paramedics. Yeah, so everybody had scrub tops. I put He's wearing a purple scrub t-shirt like Corey Haim wears in The Lost Boys, except Corey's has a wild, crazy print all over it. But it's a long style shirt scrub top with a really wide neck hole. Yeah. I don't know why the neck hole is so wide on him. I think it was because they... Like, they wanted you to be able to change in and out quickly. Maybe. Or if you've got blood all over you. Yeah. But yeah, I I guess I just didn't know that was a thing. And then I went off on it and Cam informed me that some people wore those. No, like, I think I think just about everybody in my family, like, PJs was a scrub top yeah. and some sweatpants. Huh. Jesse goes to grab some paper towels and he looks out the kitchen window and we can see somebody watching him from the bushes. They step away and he goes outside to see what's up. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's wearing shoes. Why not? Yeah. So he hears some noises, including a little screechy sound. And then he hears a fire stoking. We can see firelight coming from his basement windows. So he goes to investigate and he sees Freddy's back. Freddy's reaching into the lit furnace to pull something out. Jesse comes back into the house and he's going to go check on the prowler in the basement. (laughs) I'm like, no, Jesse, don't do that. He opens the basement door and he sees Freddy's silhouette approaching the stairs. He slams the door and he yells for his dad. The door starts being pulled open and we can hear Freddy breathing on the other side. Jesse and Freddy struggle with the door against one another for a few seconds and then Jesse bolts towards the staircase to the second floor. Freddy is suddenly in front of him. He stops Jesse and he says, Daddy can't help you now. I'm not even going to try to do the Freddy voice. No. It's too good. He grabs Jesse by the shirt collar and pulls him in close, shushing him with the blade of his knife glove. Mm-hmm. And their faces are very close together. Mm-hmm. And then he brushes some hair off of Jesse's forehead with his blades. And he says, I need you, Jesse. Uh-huh. I read originally he puts one of his fingers in his mouth. Oh. And the kid that plays Jesse was like, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, and that was, I feel really bad for Mark Patton mm-hmm. because he was a closeted homosexual actor. Mm-hmm. If it came out that he was gay, he would have a really hard time getting work. Yeah. I don't know if the writer and director of this movie knew that he was gay or if this was just the subtext, but I watched the documentary Scream Queen, uh-huh. and it's all about Mark Patton's kind of struggle with this movie yeah. and what it did to his life afterward, and I just feel really bad that he was put in the position to pretty much out himself. Yes, without permission. Yeah. They made his character as gay as they could. Mm-hmm. While still having a girlfriend. Yes. And so, I I don't know. I just, I feel complicated watching it. It, There's a lot of feelings. Yeah. Um, I also wrote here, okay, so maybe this movie is a little homoerotic. Yeah. The camera turns to a close-up of Freddy, but only his eyes are lit. You can make out the burned skin of his face, but not very well. He tells Jesse, we've got special work to do here, you and me. And he pins Jesse against the wall and cups his chin with his non-gloved hand. He drags a finger slowly across Jesse's across Jesse's chin as he withdraws his hand and says, You've got the body. I've got the brain. 
He takes off his fedora and rips the skin off the side of his own head and exposes a pulsating brain. Ew. Good effect, though. It is a good effect. And I remember that being on, we were at Best Buy one time. Uh Uh-huh. And that was on the movie trailer for this. Oh. That was playing on all of the display TVs. And I was like. That's pretty graphic. I'm like, you can show that at Best Buy? (laughs) (laughs) So Jesse gives another shrieking scream. And Freddie laughs maniacally. And then we see Jesse fire up in bed screaming. And he is very sweaty again. Mm Mm-hmm. His parents come into his room, and his mom asks dad if they should call a doctor, but Jesse refuses. He's like, no, it was just a bad dream. Just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. At school the next day, Jesse is struggling to stay awake in class. The teacher is explaining how food processes through the body, and the kids can't control themselves and have to make jokes. They make fart sounds. (laughs) They make gagging sounds. Uh, Jesse falls asleep sitting up. Grady notices and clues his friend in. We see a snake climb up Jesse's shoulder and then wrap around tighter and tighter around his neck. Jesse screams and wakes up in class. But there's a real snake slung over his shoulder. Props to Mark Patton. (laughs) That was not a stunt person or an animal handler. He just had a snake crawling on him. And it was starting to constrict around Mm -hmm. his neck. The teacher is very displeased and says, if you want to touch animals, join the circus. (laughs) Grady starts giggling. Jesse finally breaks and gives Grady a smile and then flips him the bird. This is where I was confused by their relationship because I was like, that's a dick move. But he found it funny. I think, like I said, I think they kind of bonded through their corporal punishment. Yeah. And then this was the, so you want to be part of the crew? Yeah. Here's your hazing. Here's your initiation. Then we cut to Lisa's house. She's swimming in her bougie ass pool in front of her big old house. That is a huge pool. Yes. Her mom informs her that Jesse's on the phone. She gets out of the pool and uses a cordless phone. Yes. To talk to Jesse. She's rich. She's rich <laughs> as fuck. She this is. is 1985. Yeah. She's got a poolside phone. Yeah. So we cut to Jesse's house and Jesse's bounding down the stairs, headed for the front door, and it looks like he's carrying a towel. Oh, I also noted that I don't know how many times they had to shoot that scene of uh Lisa in the pool, but she is burned oh, to a yes. crisp. Oh, yes. I did notice that the second time I watched it. She is so sunburned. Yeah. yeah. Like, she gets out of the pool, and she kind of has to adjust, like, the top on her swimsuit, and she has the worst burn line. But if you look, her t- her burn line isn't in sync with her suit. Oh, it's not? No. Oh. Because it was, like, a completely f- straight line across her chest. And oh, her, yeah. Her and swimsuit it was... was a little bit of a... You mm-hmm. neck. No, but I felt bad for her. I'm like, she is hurting. Yeah, she was definitely sunburnt. Uh, so we cut to Jesse's house, and Jesse's bounding down the stairs, headed for the front door with a beach towel. His dad wants to know where he's going, and Jesse says he'll be back in an hour or two. And his dad says, No, I want that room unpacked. Get upstairs. And his dad is just sitting on the recliner eating. potato chips from a teeny tiny little bowl it's like the bowl that you would put olives in (laughs) at like a dinner party when you put the olives on the table and he has potato chips in it he's portion controlling (laughs) so upstairs in his room jesse's clearly frustrated which he shows by flailing his arms and stomping his feet and sighing he sits down on the bed and then looks overwhelmed by the task at hand he gets up, pops a cassette tape in. A smooth R&B song comes on the radio. 
Ooh, baby, you know how to love me. Jesse picks up a shoebox full of odd items and then just dumps them into an empty drawer in his dresser. How do you like that, Dad? Complete with some finger guns. <laughs> then we get a montage of Jesse putting on Ray-Ban sunglasses and a baseball hat as the song picks up tempo. He trades out the sunglasses for some Elton John type of eyewear. Yeah, gold sparkly glasses with lightning bolts coming off of the sides. Yeah. <laughs> He's dancing around the room and enjoying himself. He grabs a wooden dowel type of toy and he jumps on his bed. I think it's called a pop gun. Oh, maybe. Um, But you did miss, he twerks a drawer shut oh, he on does. his dresser. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, use that booty, buddy. Uh. He jumps on his bed and he's singing and dancing and he's got the toy kind of at groin level. Yeah, it's his pantomime wiener. Yeah, and he's kind of shaking it around. And then his mom and Lisa barge through the door just as the, <laughs> the toy kind of pops. In an orgasm emotion. <laughs> he jumps down from the bed, clearly embarrassed. And his mom and Lisa are both just like, what the fuck did we just walk into? His mom looks absolutely <laughs> mortified. I know. And then his mom's like, um, I'll leave you two alone. I know. And it was like, like she is the stereotypical mom mom. Uh -huh. And she's like, I'm just going to leave you in the room alone with a girl. I don't care. Yeah. I have to get out of here. Yes. Make me a grandbaby. I don't care. <laughs> Lisa apologizes for inviting herself over. But she thought he might like some help. So the two of them start working on his room. She's putting a sweater away up in the closet and she spots a pinkish red diary. They open it up and it belongs to Nancy Thomas, 1428 Elm Street. Lisa says it's dated from five years ago. Lisa reads aloud an entry from Nancy being horny for Glenn. And then Jesse asks to take a look. And this is what it says. What does it say? He comes to me at night. Horrible. Ugly. Dirty, under the sheets with me. Ooh. Hmm. Jesse and Lisa kind of giggle at it, and then Jesse continues. Tearing at my nightgown with his steel claws. Jesse stops. He's like, whoa, this is not good, and, <laughs> and this reminds me of things. He's visibly spooked. Then it continues. His name is Fred, and he keeps trying to take me to the boiler room. He wants to kill me. And then Chuck Mangione starts playing his <laughs> flugelhorn. <laughs> uh, Jesse flips the page and sees that Nancy's entry from when Tina died. And then he explains to Lisa what Grady told him about his house and starts to question whether or not it was real. So that night, Jesse's thrashing around in bed. He wakes up and turns on his lamp. And his lamp's like a baseball helmet with... With like baseballs as the base? Yes. But it's melting. And it's all drippy. And the candle on the side of his table is melting. And Jesse, of course, is covered in sweat. He's very sweaty and very shirtless. Yes. Uh, so he gets up and leaves his room. Oh, and I, I just have to admonish Jesse here. He had an LP hanging like a third of the way oh, off of his dresser. Yeah. That's a really good way to warp your vinyl, bro. Yes. Well, it's warped anyway. It was melty. You got to take care of that stuff. Okay, so his room is obviously hot because everything is melting. Uh-huh. He's drenched in sweat. Yeah. So what does he do before he leaves his room? He puts on shoes. No. And sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Yes, sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Yep. What? Okay. So he cautiously makes his way downstairs to the basement. We know it's the basement because we hear dripping water. 
demons and shit. <laughs> um, he finds the boiler fireplace thingy. Is it a boiler? I don't know what it's it is. It's just an old furnace. Furnace. Okay. He opens the grate and reaches for something inside. He retrieves something and unwraps it, and it turns out to be Freddy's glove. A fire suddenly starts in the furnace, and we hear Freddy start laughing from nearby. He comes around the corner laughing and tells Jesse to try it on. Jesse's frightened and throws the glove on the ground and scampers away from the fire. But when he looks back, there's no fire, there's no Freddy, just some smoke. He looks confused about what... Oh, you did skip one little part. Okay. Freddy puts his hand on the side of the hot furnace and it burns him. Mm -hmm. And then he just looks at Jesse and goes, kill for me. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. I wouldn't like that dream. <laughs> he looks confused, but when he looks in front of him, Freddy's glove is still there on the ground. So it's like... Was, Did this happen? Was I dreaming? Was I not dreaming? I don't know. Or was this a weird kind of dream where things are actually happening in the real <gasps> world? At school the next morning, Jesse and Lisa are discussing his dream. Carrie approaches them and tells Lisa that she got her invite for the party. They joke about what a bad DJ Lisa's dad is. And before leaving to go to class, Lisa gives Jesse a small peck on the side of his mouth. And he looks pretty thrilled. He is. He's like, whoa, she made the first move. <laughs> That's like every guy's dream. Like, can you please just make the first move? I don't want to do this. Oh. Back at gym class, Grady and Jesse are running. And Jesse asks Grady if he remembers his dreams. To which Grady replies, only the wet ones. <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. I like Grady. <laughs> Back in the locker room, the boys are getting undressed and talking shit about the coach. And then the coach overhears. And then we cut to the boys on the field doing Plank. planks again. And it, <laughs> could they really not have uh, filmed a, a different scene? Because they just recycled the scene uh -huh. that they used earlier. I'm like, they were wearing different clothing. Yeah. So I put that we're establishing that there is some bad blood between these three. Yes. Would you like to discuss the next scene? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So it's nighttime again, and we can see a couple of parakeets in their cage. Mama Walsh covers the cage and complains about how warm it is in the house. Papa Walsh gets up to go check on the thermostat, and he has to, like, pull it off the wall and tap it. Oh, I'll, I'll figure this thing out. Well, because it says it's 97 degrees in their house. Yeah. Angie's putting together a puzzle on the coffee table, and she never seems to notice the temperature in the house. No, she's fine. She's like, I'm just doing a puzzle. We have a kid like that. So uh, Jesse comes in. He says, it is hot as an oven in here. And Papa Walsh says, it's 97 degrees in here. So the birdcage starts rocking, and Jesse goes to check it out. One of the birds has killed the other by, like, biting its throat out. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he decides now would be a really good time to open the cage door. What, what did he think he was going to do? Grab the bird? I don't know. Was he trying to rescue the dead bird? I don't know what his thought process was there. So, of course, when he does, the killer bird escapes into the living room and it flies around wildly, dive bombing people. And they really tried to make this scene scary. They really did. I, they did. But it is fucking hilarious <laughs> because it is, it is a parakeet. I know. And it is attacking full-grown humans. I think if it had been a different kind of bird, it might have been slightly more scary. But maybe it, like a cockatoo. I don't. Yeah, it's a parakeet. 
and uh, it flies around wildly. It dives bomb dive bombs the people, and it even cuts the dad's cheek open with its crazy murder beak. Mm-hmm. Uh, because birds are the fucking worst. Yeah. Angie screams. Mama protects her, and then Mom runs to get a broom. The bird dive bombs Angie, but she ducks and it knocks over a lamp. <laughs> I love this scene. Mm-hmm. Dad swings a broom that Mom brought in, and he breaks another lamp. And then they all watch in horror as the bird flies up by the ceiling. It hovers for a second, bursts into flames, and then we get a funny shot of Dad and Jesse watching his feathers fall from the ceiling. And dr- with <laughs> they have these dramatic, shocked faces. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, it wouldn't just be feathers. Where are the bird guts? They burned up. Oh, okay. It was, it was a hot fire, but it didn't burn those. <laughs> it didn't burn those feathers. So now we cut back to the horribly yellow kitchen where Papa Walsh is trying to get the stove moved out, and he asks for Jesse's help. Jesse tells him it's not a problem with the leaky gas line, but Dad is trying to ra- rationalize what he just saw, and he theorizes about bird rabies. Then, of course, he has to blame the mother. Well, yeah, she bought the cheap bird seed. Yeah, that's what made the bird explode. Then he blames Jesse for rigging a cherry bomb, and he's really all in on this plan. Yes. He's like, you put a cherry bomb inside that bird and blew it up. (laughs) And the dad gets toxic as fuck here. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesse just tries to remove himself from the situation. He's like, hey, I'm not going to let you talk to me this way. And he walks out. And the dad's screaming and acting like he's going to go fight his son. Mm-hmm. And the mom's holding him back. And the whole time he's just like screaming after Jesse. Yeah. I'm like, wow, maybe like divorce that guy. Dad's a dick. So now it's nighttime again. Jesse cannot sleep again. He gives up on his wriggling and writhing to go downstairs. Uh, He's soaked in sweat. But now that he's downstairs, he's cold and he's huddling inside his shirt. Lightning strikes through the kitchen window and annihilates a plate in the dish drainer. (laughs) And then Jesse is walking down the street in the pouring rain. He's walking past what seems to be some seedy no-tell motels. I think he's on the bad side of town. I would agree. He walks into a bar in an alley, and there's a sign over the door that says Don's Place. You think it says Don's Place? I I thought it said Dom's. Oh, maybe it said Dom's. I think it's Dom's. Is it? Yeah. Oh, like Dominatrix. Like, yep. So he goes into the bar and it's a rough crowd in there. It is. There's some punk rock looking people. There's um a guy who looks like a stereotypical 80s pimp. Mm-hmm. He's wearing his nice white suit and his pimp hat. Yeah. And he goes up to the bar and a stern looking bartender in your prototypical S&M garb from the 80s approaches Jesse, who's looking very haggard with his open-buttoned shirt. Yes. And uh, Jesse asks for a beer. The bartender gives him a bottle and then flicks a glass toward him, and the glass is like a highball glass that would not hold even half of that beer. That's what I put. I put, what is the deal with the glass? It's not even big enough to hold the whole beer. Who puts their beer in a glass? It was the 80s. It's just weird. Do you know who the bartender is? No. It's Robert Shea, the head of New Line Cinema. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think every movie after two. He's in? Yeah. That's fun. So Jesse pours his beer into the glass, and just as he's getting ready to take that first drink, a hand comes down on top of his drinking wrist. 
Coach Schneider is the man with the hand. He's chewing his gum. Oh, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so Coach Snyder is decked out in some leather S&M gear, too. Mm-hmm. It appears Grady was right. We cut to the school gym where Jesse is running laps with Schneider looking on. He pushes Jesse into a stack of folding chairs and tells him to hit the showers. Okay, Jesse put on his shoes when he went to go get juice. Yes. But he doesn't put on his shoes when he's leaving the house. No. Jesse's going through it right now. Okay. So Jesse does as he's told, and he goes to the shower room while the coach gets out a jump rope for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't either. Apparently, the Freddy Force knows what's about to happen, and he's going to shut it down. Yeah. So we can hear a sound as the coach is standing in his office room. He goes to check it out, and Jesse's showering. Everything seems cool. Then we hear another sound. The sound is the wires on a tennis racket bursting. The coach looks over to the tennis rackets, and it looks like the strings are popping off because they're being superheated. Mm -hmm. Then a basketball flies out of a bin. Then the whole cabinet that he has all of his balls in turns and faces him. And it starts shaking. The cabinet next to him starts shaking and some tennis ball containers explode, shooting the tennis balls at the coach. He's just being plummeted with balls. Yes. Balls, balls, balls. (laughs) Attacked by balls. Yes. So his big cubbyhole display case starts throwing balls at him now, too. He drops to the floor. More balls and jock straps fire out at Mm -hmm. him. More tennis balls explode from their containers. Like a dumbbell gets thrown through a window. And all of this is happening with no apparent assailant. So the coach closes and locks the cabinet with the tennis balls. Then the jump rope seems to come to life and go after him. The coach is being dragged into the shower room by his wrists that are tied up with jump ropes. And the whole time he's yelling, no, stop, stop. In the shower room, the rest of the shower heads all turn on by themselves. And Jesse looks very confused. The coach is dragged into the shower room, pulled into a standing position. The jump ropes that are tied to his wrist, the other end of them wraps around the faucets and kind of locks him on. Mm -hmm. An unseen force strips off the coach's clothes, and now we can see towels coming to life and bringing themselves into the shower room, and they begin towel whipping the coach's butt. His butt gets red and bloody from the whippings, Mm -hmm. and Jesse looks on in what seems to be like dissociative horror. Yeah. He's like, am I really seeing what I'm seeing right now? And the coach is looking back at him like, what the fuck, dude? Aren't you going to help me out here? Can you please help me? I'm (laughs) being attacked by something. (laughs) So the shower room steams up and we completely lose sight of Jesse. And then Freddy steps through the steam where Jesse once was. His glove is raised. The coach screams and Freddy slashes his back. The shower heads run red as blood begins pouring from them. The steam clears. Jesse is real bloody. Mm -hmm. And he's wearing the glove on his hand, and he gives another amazing scream here. Like blood-curdling, shrieking scream. So we cut back to 1428 Elm Street, where Mama and Papa Walsh are running down the stairs in their PJs. The cops are at the door with Jesse. They found him walking down the highway naked, and they have him wrapped up in a blanket. One cop tells the dad to keep a short leash on this one. Once the cops leave, 
leave, Dad actually seems concerned. Mm-hmm. He, he's not just ready to throw punishment. He's like, no, I want to know what's going on here, Jesse. And he says, I've got two questions for you. You answer them, we'll all go to bed. Son, what are you taking? And who are you getting it from? And Jesse looks at him like he has a dick growing out of his forehead. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not taking drugs, Dad. <laughs> and then he just looks at his mom and he goes, I want to go to bed. Yeah. He just completely ignores Dad. So mom takes Jesse upstairs and Dad leans on the, the newel post on the, the banister and he actually looks worried. Yeah. He doesn't look angry. Like, oh, Dad's not just a dick. Maybe. He's a dick. He's a dick. The next morning, Dad's outside removing the bars from the windows. Jesse and Mom come outside arguing. Mom's trying to connect with Jesse, but Jesse is not interested. So the cool guy, Jesse, jumps into his convertible without using the door. Yes. He just (laughs) vaults over the side. The door might not work. That's true. (laughs) Then he speeds away headed to school. Mom tells Dad that he thinks Jesse need no that she thinks Jesse needs a psychi- psychiatric care, and Dad thinks that he just needs a good goddamn kick in the butt. Yes. Yeah, because that's gonna help. That solves everything. And then he says, "No, wait, I know what he needs—a methadone clinic." <laughs> what the fuck up? <laughs> what the fuck is up with Dad? His mentality is all macho, but he is anything but macho. I just, I love. His polo shirt tucked into his short shorts with his tool belt around his waist, his it, long wool socks. It's like Ned Flanders, like come to life. Trying to be macho. Yes. <laughs> Jesse and Lisa arrive at school to see it swarming with cops. Jesse runs to see what's happening and Grady stops him. Schneider got wasted last night. He must have been working late. Some maniac sliced him like a kilbasa. Hacked him in the shower. They got bloody footprints all over the place. Jesse's like, oh, fuck. I remember last night. And he looks like he's about to cry. Yeah. Like he's about to fully break down. Like, oh, that was real. Yeah. So then we cut to that night. Jesse wakes up all sweaty again. We know what this means. (laughs) He hears noise coming from across the room. He opens a desk drawer to find Freddy's glove moving about. A voiceover of Freddy says, kill for me. Jesse once again puts on jeans and a button-down shirt, and he walks down the hall and opens a door. This part's weird. Inside, his sister is jumping rope. In a communion dress. In a communion dress, reciting the Freddy rhyme. But she's moving in extremely slow motion. I... I really love the sound of her jump rope hitting the carpet. I, I liked the visual and everything. But it was just odd. I think it was trying to show like he's stuck between the dream real dream world and the real yeah. world. Uh, so as he watches her, he's just kind of closes the door and walks away. Like, nah, I'm not gonna deal with that shit right now. <laughs> yeah, and the look on his face is like, huh? It's not normal, and I don't want any part of it. Yeah. The next morning, while at breakfast, Jesse questions his dad about the history of their house. Apparently, mom had no clue as to what was going on. Well, no, dad handles the finances. (laughs) Yeah, and dad's like, how do you think we got such a good deal? Jesse goes on telling them about how the former mother killed herself in their living room. Angie gets upset, and the parents tell Jesse this isn't something they should be discussing. 
Then the toaster suddenly bursts into flames. Dad <laughs> takes action and puts it out with a kitchen towel and then discovers that the toaster wasn't even plugged in. Look at this, Cheryl. The damn thing wasn't even plugged in. Yeah. So then we cut to <laughs> Jesse and Lisa in the car. She's giving him directions and they're discussing Jesse's dreams again. Lisa says he can't blame himself for what happened to the coach. Just because you dream something doesn't mean you did it. She thinks maybe he's just having a psychic vision or something. So they arrive at their destination, and it's a very dilapidated factory yeah. area. There's like train yards coming up to it. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's been abandoned forever. Lisa explains that it's the old power plant where Fred Krueger used to work. She's been doing her research. She has been. She's ready for a true crime podcast. Yeah. The two of them make their way inside, and Lisa tells Jesse about Fred Krueger kidnapping 20 kids and bringing them here to kill them. And then she looks at Jesse with the most expecting stare. She asks him if he feels anything. She seems to think he'll have a psychic connection to the place. Jesse wanders around, not feeling anything, until he sees a rusty old metal cabinet. And the cabinet has four slashy claw marks mm -hmm. on it. So he approaches it slowly and expectantly, opens the door, and we see a mouse is living in it. And it's being all cute, and it has its little nest in there. Uh-huh. It's a cute little mouse. But this deeply, deeply affects Lisa. So we establish Lisa does not like rodents. No. That'll be important later. <laughs> so she clutches onto Jesse and buries her head in his chest. Now it's nighttime again. We know this because we see the front of the house, the same shot that they keep showing us over and over every well, time it's nighttime. It's nighttime. We only have one shot. And now we get a POV shot going up the basement steps. Then it goes up the main staircase and opens Angie's door. We hear Freddie's voice say, Wake up, little girl. She rolls over and says, what time is it? The camera turns and we see sweaty Jesse. And he tells her, it's late. Go back to sleep. But it's his voice, not Freddy's. Mm -hmm. She closes her eyes. He goes to tuck her back into bed. And he's wearing Freddy's glove. Dun, oh, dun, dun, no. dun. And now we cut to Jesse's room and he's taking some stay up and drinking some Coca-Cola. Uh-huh. The next morning, Jesse comes into the kitchen. He pours some coffee. He's looking rough. Now his, he, his mom says he's looking better. Yeah. She's like, you're looking better. <laughs> and then she kind of looks at the dad like, I don't know what to say. Uh -huh. Now he's driving with Lisa and she asks him if he had another nightmare. And he kind of breaks down. He spills the beans. He tells her, my dad thinks I'm on drugs. My mom thinks I'm crazy. And at this point, I don't know if I don't agree with her. Now it's lunchtime at school. Carrie asks Lisa what's wrong with Jesse. He seems kind of freaked out. At the lunch table, Grady has three milks. And he has a mouthful of food that he's talking around. I never want to eat food with Grady ever. No. I, I would rather die. No. His mouth is stuffed completely full. And then he's just talking. And he's like, It's so gross. And he, tells, he can tell that Jesse's not in a good place. And he asks him if maybe he wants to go to a movie or something. And do you think do you think Jesse's told him anything? No. So Grady's just being perceptive. I think so. And then he says they should hang out, you know, get some things off your mind, grab a pizza or something. Jesse isn't having any of the conversation. 
Carrie and Lisa come to the table, and Carrie seems to be interested in Grady. I think Carrie's interested in anything that moves. Yeah. And she asks if he's going to Lisa's party tomorrow night, and he says he can't because he's grounded for throwing his grandma down a flight of stairs. (laughs) That's one way to not have to go to the party. Do you think that, (laughs) was that a joke? I I think he was grounded, but he just made up a cooler reason. But he was asking Jesse to do things. Oh, that's true. Maybe he just really doesn't like parties. Maybe. Maybe he doesn't like swimming. Maybe he doesn't like Carrie. That's, yeah. So Lisa tries to get Jesse to eat and he snaps at her and he sa- she says they can figure it out together if he would just talk to her. And Grady says, you shouldn't be wasting time with him. He's a nutcase. And then Jesse very aggressively tells Grady to shut up. Grady gets pissed and bails out. And Lisa looks like she's about to cry. And I feel for Carrie in this scene because she's just like <laughs> looking back and forth like, what the hell? What just happened? So we cut to Lisa's party. This is one of my favorite scenes in 80s slasher movie history. Her dad is wearing a chef's hat. He's grilling. There's big band music playing in the background. A kid dives into the pool and the dad admonishes him. He's like, hey, you knock that off. He you cannonballs. He doesn't dive. You don't have fun at the pool party. Can't be splashing. What if you catch his grill? So the mom intervenes and she takes the dad away from the party with a promise of sex right in front of the uh, all the party goers. <laughs> uh, she says, come on, skinny. It's time for bed. Yeah. And the dad leaves and reminds Lisa the party needs to be done by 1230. Mm-hmm. 1230? Why not 12 or 1? 12.30 seems like an odd time. Maybe they have a one o'clock curfew in their town. Oh, that could be. So Jesse's sitting at a table all by himself, and he has like six cans of Coke in front of him. Yes. He gets fed up, and he heads for the pool house, or the cabana. Yeah, I call it a pool house. Lisa goes to check on him, and he lets her into the cabana. He's changed into his street clothes, and he tells her he's going to head out because he's ruining her party. Lisa presses him, and he tells her that he feels like he's losing his mind. He's afraid to go to sleep. He's afraid to stay awake. And she tells him that they'll stay awake together all night long. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And then they kiss. The kissing starts out pretty tender, and then it gets intense real fast. Real fast. Inside the house, the mom has poured a drink for the dad, and they get into bed. They turn out the lights, and the kids outside go ape shit. Mm-hmm. They turn off the big band music. They start rocking out to some 80s tunes. A girl in the pool, she was ready to go. She just takes off her top, <laughs> and it's just floating. <laughs> She's making out with some guy. Someone wheels out a radio flyer wagon filled with Coors Banquet and Budweiser, mm-hmm. and now everyone's jumping in the pool and whooping it up. Dad is not happy that the kids are having fun. No. Back at the pool house, Jesse and Lisa, their makeout session has moved to the floor. Yeah, it, and it's getting hot and heavy. It's a pretty hot scene. He kisses her neck and he moves lower, unbuttoning her shirt. Hi, Jet. And he has a boob in each hand and he's kissing between her boobs <laughs> and breathing heavily. You guys couldn't see this, but Cam just definitely mimed a boob in each hand. <laughs> He went a boob in each hand. I even gave a little honka. (laughs) What can I say? I'm a fan of boobs in my hands. 
So Lisa is writhing in pleasure. She's closing her eyes. She's tipping her head back. And just when you think it's going to go full porn, Mm -hmm. a very large grayish brown tongue comes out of Jesse's mouth and starts licking between Lisa's breasts. So everybody's boner just went away. Just guys, just put it away. That's over now. Jesse shoots up. He puts his hand over his mouth, trapping the gross tongue in. Lisa looks really confused, and Jesse just throws on his shoes and takes off. Mm -hmm. Lisa looks so defeated and so sad. She has blue balls. Do you know how much this would traumatize a girl? She's like, oh, I was just about to have an experience with this guy I really like. You're making out with a dude, and then he just gets up and leaves and doesn't say anything? Yeah. So Grady's asleep in his bed and wakes up to Jesse jumping on him. (laughs) He fully dives on top of him. Uh, Jesse tells Grady he's in trouble and asks if he can sleep there tonight. Grady's not very much into the idea. Grady's room is the most 80s thing I've ever seen. Oh, he's got the Stray Cats poster. He's got that shiny black (laughs) duvet. He has like the red metal framed bed. Yes. Like everything's red. And then his sheets look like the things that used to be on to-go cups. Like, you know, like he used to have to-go like to-go drink cups and they were all printed. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's kind of what his sheets looked like. And then does he have a faux leather comforter? I think so. (laughs) I couldn't tell if it was faux leather or if it was like nylon. I don't know. And then his wallpaper is that tan where they tried to make it look like texture, but it was really just like splotches of paint all over. Yeah. Uh, Jesse confesses to killing Snyder. Oh, and he has the posters that are all like cocked. Yeah, tilt, at, like tilted just a little bit, like a thirty degree angle. Yeah, Jesse confesses to killing Schneider. Only it wasn't me. There's something inside me, and last night it made me go to my sister's room. And tonight, with Lisa in the cabana, it started to happen again. Grady rags on Jesse a little about wanting to sleep with him when he's got a girl waiting for him. And Jesse says, something is trying to get inside my body. Yes. (laughs) And Grady says, yeah, and it's female, and it's waiting (laughs) for you in the cabana, and you want to sleep with me. Yeah. Grady tells him that he's just been having bad dreams, but Jesse tells him he doesn't know. I'm all messed up. I'm in trouble, and I need you to help me, okay? Grady finally agrees and says, like, what do you need? So Jesse lays down on Grady's beanbag chair. And there's a very groin forward shot. Yeah. (laughs) And he tells Grady to just watch him sleep. If anything starts to happen or if he acts weird or gets up and tries to walk out, stop him by whatever means necessary. And Grady, don't fall asleep. Oh, no. Absolutely don't fall asleep. (laughs) Uh, Back at the party, Lisa and Carrie are chilling with their feet in the pool. Lisa says she feels like she needs to go check on Jesse, but she can't leave her party. And Carrie tells her to fuck the party. Go get him. And I like that a guy swims up to Carrie and he's Uh like, are you going to get back in the pool? And she's like, I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) She knows what she wants and she knows when she wants it. Yes, I like Carrie. So Grady's flipping through channels on his TV. He lets out a sigh of boredom and clicks off the TV. We see Jesse's asleep in the chair already, and Grady looks at Jesse and tells him sweet dreams before turning off his light to go to sleep. Jesse suddenly wakes up screaming to Grady that it's happening again, 
He starts contorting his face and looks like he's in pain. Grady's kind of freaked out and asks him what the fuck's going on. And Jesse holds up his hand as knives start to grow out of his fingers. So cool. And then I put, his fingers just turned into hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) His fingers are just hot dogs with knives in them. (laughs) If I ever open a restaurant and we have hot dogs on the menu, I'm not going to call them hot dogs. I'm going to call them Freddy fingers. Freddy fingers. The skin on his arm starts to split open as Freddy's arm appears in replace of his. Nope. Did I say repairs? Appears in replace. (laughs) (laughs) Appears in place. Yes. Thank you. Grady looks at this and is like, oh, shit, and tries to go unlock his or open his door, but he can't. So he starts screaming for his dad. And he has a Le Mall from Kaja Gugu poster. (laughs) Jesse opens his mouth to scream. and We can see a scary red eye is looking back from the inside of it. Yeah. It's weird. And that's a that's a very odd scene. But it's like unnerving. Yeah. Like his mouth opens and there's an eye in the mm-hmm. back of his throat. Yeah, I don't like it. And it's all red. Yeah. Ugh. Jesse so- collapses to the floor as Freddy's pa- face appears to be breaking through his stomach. The gloved hand slices through the skin and Jesse gives birth via C-section to a fully grown <laughs> Freddy. <laughs> I never thought of it like a C-section before. It is a C-section. He's giving birth to Freddy. (laughs) Grady's trying to get the fuck out of his room. His parents are on the other side trying to get in. Freddy lifts Grady up while he like stalks towards him. Very slowly. Yes. And then lifts him up while choking him. On the other side of the door, we see four knives cut through the wood. And then blood seeps through the cuts. I like to... Grady is screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah. He's asking for his father's help. Uh He keeps saying, dad, dad, help me. And his dad is pissed. Yes. He's pounding on the door and he's like, Ron, this is your father. You open this door. Open this door. I think dad was just scared and didn't know what to do. More toxic masculinity. Exactly. I can't deal with my emotions. So Freddy steps back, laughs, and then waves to a mirror. And in the reflection, we see that it's Jesse covered in blood wearing the knife. Grady lays on the floor dying while Jesse and Freddy stare at each other through the mirror. Frustrated, Jesse takes off the glove and throws it at Freddy, causing the mirror to shatter into a million pieces. And now he is sobbing. Yes. And he kind of comes to, and then we hear sirens as cops are trying to break their way into his room, and Jesse escapes out the window. And he has to push away like a full Marshall stack before he gets out. And I'm like, man, Grady shreds. Well, I'm also like, how did he get in? I don't know. They don't show that. Do you think Grady gave him a key? No. He's like, hey, we're bros now. You want a key to my house? Probably not. I I would like it if that were the case. So Lisa's leaving her house, getting ready to go see Jesse. Why did she need to change her clothes and completely redo her hair? Well, because she was in her pool clothes, not her oh. going out on the town clothes. She's rich. Yep. Uh, Jesse suddenly barges his way into her house. He's manic and covered in blood, and he just keeps saying, I killed him. I killed him. And outside, 
we can see that the party's turning into a a, a makeout session. Mm. There's a lot of hormones. There's a lot going on out there. There's mellow song stylings. Everybody's kind of partnered off and canoodling. Mm-hmm. He tells her that he killed Grady and Schneider. And he explains to her that it's Fred Krueger inside of him making him do these things. Lisa tells him that it's just in his head and he's mixing up all the information he's received lately. And he yells at her that last night he almost killed his sister. He he showed up covered in blood. Like, what more proof do you want, Lisa? Oh, And he says, he owns me. Yeah. At the party, Carrie and her male companion are canoodling in the pool. She yells out, asking someone to turn down the temp in the pool. And then a fire breaks out near the grill. And uh, hot dogs and beer cans start exploding. (laughs) Okay. I had to read what my comment was. Sorry. So a fire breaks out near the grill and hot dogs and beer cans start exploding. I put the props department totally stole this idea from the script. Like, hey, instead of putting a firecracker in the bird, let's put it in a hot dog. <laughs> oh, and we have leftover hot dogs from Jesse's like, growing knife finger scene. Sweet. <laughs> Man, the props department was just, they were like, reduce, reuse, recycle. recycle. They did it. So Lisa sits Jesse down and reads aloud Nancy's last diary entry. He is evil itself. I know that now. I brought him into my world. We all did. Gave him all the energy he needed. Our screams were all he needed. Dun, dun, dun. Outside the pool, nope, outside the party, we see the padlock close on the fence. The door to Lisa's bedroom locks. The door. Lisa's parents' bedroom. Thank you. Lisa tells Jesse he can fight Freddy, and Jesse cowers in pain, telling Lisa to leave because he's coming back. Lisa begs Jesse to fight him, and all around the house, windows and doors are locking. Jesse's bent over trying to fight fright fight Freddy. While Lisa prays over him like a revival tent preacher. Jesse, just fight him. He's living on your fear. He doesn't even exist. Then the fish tank starts to boil. The TV explodes. And random lights all around the house are sparking out. Lisa has to jump out of the way to the corner to avoid the water from the tank because the tank is now exploded. On the other side of the room, we hear Freddy. And then we see him appear instead of Jesse. And he just pops up off the floor like, (laughs) okay, we did the transformation scene already. That was really expensive. Now you just get Jesse lays down. Freddy comes up. Yep. From behind the couch. (laughs) Lisa takes off running through the house. She tries an outside door, but it's locked. She runs through the living room and runs straight into Freddy. He tackles her to the ground. And then there's a lot of him pulling on her leg and her trying to get away. Yeah. And then he grabs her leg and bites it. But she boots him in the face and then takes off running to the glass patio doors. And he swings his glove at right where her leg was. Yes. Just as she pulls it away and he buries his knife blades into the floor. Outside, the pool has started to boil. Lisa's trying to get out from the glass patio doors and it looks like the other party goers goers are trying to get in. Yeah, they're like, let me in. And she's like, let me out. Yeah. Freddie walks towards her. She spots a knife from her cake and she grabs it and holds it very awkwardly by her face. I like it too, how Freddie was waiting for her to turn around. Yeah. He had his hand on that like like stack of collector's plates. Uh-huh. And he was like, 
when she turns around, I'm going to throw these on the floor. And when she turns around, it's going to happen. <laughs> and then she turns around and he's like, hey, watch this. And then he just like pushes them onto the floor uh-huh. like, I broke your shit. Uh, she begs Jesse to help her. And Freddie says that there is no more Jesse. From Freddie's mouth, we hear Jesse say, kill me, Lisa. Lisa contemplates for a moment and then stabs the knife into Freddie's chest. It looks like she's just stabbing into foam. Like, it does nothing. Yeah. We hear Jesse say, I love you, Lisa. And Lisa drops the knife. Freddie grabs her, brings her into him. And just when you think he's going to stab her, he throws her out of the way, runs through the glass patio doors, shattering them, and then disappears into thin air. Yeah. And the party goers, like, they run away. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. Like, this guy's running at us. Yes. And then a whole bunch of them are like, where'd he go? Where did he go? I I saw him. Where'd he go? Yeah. So then the pool stops boiling. Lisa's parents' bedroom door unlocks and opens. Some boys approach the shattered door on the patio trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. And everyone's kind of holding their breath. And you kind of feel like everything's calm down a little bit it's getting back to normal feeling a little safe the boy in the blue polo shirt is like hey is everybody okay (laughs) he sounds like a radio personality yeah but then freddie comes jumping from underground yes (laughs) and it it really gives a do you remember when they used to like fire Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson up from under the stage. Oh, yeah. Like it gives those vibes. Yeah. It's like, here's the man you've been waiting for. But yeah, he pretty much just comes like exploding from under the ground. So party goers take off running in every direction. The pool starts boiling again and then catches on fire. Someone tries to escape but discovers that the fence is hot. Lisa's parents rush downstairs and find Lisa alive but clearly concussed. Outside, Freddy um, stabs a couple more kids, and now all of the kids are cornered. One steps forward and tries to reason with Freddy, but Freddy doesn't like this. <laughs> so he takes the kid and stabs him and tosses him away. Oh, and the kid was wearing a scrub top. What the fuck? I did not know this was a thing. I like, too, one of the kids that Freddy stabs with his knives, because at this point, it's not a glove anymore. The knives are like coming out of his hand oh i guess i didn't notice that yeah it they switched it up because he came out of jesse oh and so like the knives are just part of his hand now but Hmm. i like that he stabs into that kid's guts yeah and then wriggles his hand Uh around like i'm really gonna do some damage in here yuck so freddie stands in front of the group of kids and tells them you are all my children now such a good scene (laughs) He has his arms open all wide and the kid that he threw into the grill, like knocked the top off the grill. So there's just flames shooting up behind Freddy. Lisa's dad appears with a shotgun or a rifle. I don't know what the difference is Um, and attempts to shoot Freddy, but he misses. He reloads and takes aim a second time. But Lisa knocks the gun away from him. Lisa and Freddy exchange a long look. And then I was kind of, kind of confused here because they kept focusing on his eyes. I'm like, am I supposed to think those are Jesse's eyes? I, I think because Robert Englund was kind of softening his eyes towards her. Yeah. Like he started off really scowly. And then as he's staring at Lisa, he kind of opens his eyes up more. Yeah. He's using that classically trained stage actor. Is that what it is? His acting's so good. 
I I really liked too when the do-gooder kid in the in the blue top uh-huh. was walking up to Freddy and he had his hands out in front of him and was like, "Hey, nobody's gonna hurt you. It's okay." Do you think Freddy was concerned <laughs> that one of these teenage kids was going to hurt him? I think he, that kid was just trying to take control of the situation. You are not approaching a stray cat. You are approaching a guy that you just saw eviscerate people <laughs> with his knife hand. Yeah. So Freddy marches towards the group of kids. But I'm not sure what happens here. Like, instead of killing them, he catches fire? Um. They all kind of part. Yeah. And he walks in between them. And as he hits the fence line, he bursts into flames. Oh, because the fence was hot. So maybe that's why. No, I think that was just his magic trick. I think he was like, Freddy, disappear. <laughs> like he's just pulling some David Copperfield shit. Oh. So Lisa steals Jesse's car and make her, makes her way to the old power plant, which is still very brightly lit. Yes, there's a lot of lights around. Yes. She rips some fabric from the seat to cover her bite wound before marching in towards the plant. And I like that inside the plant, outside the plant, it's all white lights. Yes. Inside the plant is all red and green lit. Mm -hmm. So you're like, that's Freddy's domain. That's where he's at. So Lisa walks purposely through the doors of the power plant. And some pit bull looking dogs with human faces growl at her as she approaches. She stays strong. She keeps walking. She just turns her head forward. She's like, I'm not looking at you, creepy faced, human faced pit bull dogs. They look like baby faces. Yeah. They're terrifying. Are they hellhounds, do you think? I don't know, but they're scary. So now she's on top of a massive power plant machine looking thing and the camera cranes away from her and we can see how big the inside of this plant is. She continues walking. She's looking determined and scared. We see Freddy's knives scrape along some metal handrails. Lisa burns herself on a pipe. Uh, she gets a worried look on her face and bends down to untie the seat cover bandage from her Freddy bite. We can see the wound, and it looks massively infected and has insects crawling all over it. She grunts and whimpers and beats at the bugs crawling on her. Then the camera cuts back to her face and pans down. We see that her bite wound is still bandaged, and there are no bugs. Freddy's playing some mind games. Mm -hmm. Lisa steals herself, and she continues up some steps. There are more Freddy squeaky claw noises. She's on a high catwalk and she shrieks when she sees a rat because we remember from earlier, she doesn't like rodents. Yeah. Then a gigantic rat creature drops down onto the normal rat and it snarls at her and she freaks. She yeah. runs away. As she's running, she grabs part of the catwalk. Or no, part of the catwalk collapses from beneath her. She's able to grab the handrail to keep from falling and then it's revealed She's just sitting on an uncollapsed part of the catwalk. She's clinging to the handrail, but she's not dangling. Nope. There's more Freddy mind tricks. Oh, no. She walks forward right into Freddy himself. She shrieks. She runs away. She keeps running straight into a dead end in the catwalk. She turns and Freddy is there. She doubles back and runs right back into the same dead end. (laughs) So Freddy's blocking her escape this time. He cackles and holds his arm out to her and says, Come to me, Lisa. Lisa pleads and says, Jesse, I know you're in there. Stop him. 
And Freddy replies, no, 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 Jesse's dead. Freddy swipes at her with his knives, and then he seems to pause for a second. He grabs the side of her face somewhat tenderly, but he still raises the knife hand like he's about to do her in. Then Jesse's voice breaks through from Freddy's mouth, and he says, I love you, Lisa. Freddy pauses, and his knife hand starts to shake. We can see that the wound where Lisa stabbed him with the knife in her kitchen starts to bleed, and Lisa uses this distraction from Freddy's internal struggle, and she runs away. Before she gets too far, Freddy hunches a bit, and a mix of Freddy's voice and Jesse's voice calls out to her, saying her name gently. She turns to face him. Freddy's weakened and starting to collapse. Then in full Freddy voice, he says, Come back to me, Lisa. And he has his knife hand extending toward her in a beckoning motion. Oh. He's like, yeah, come here. <laughs> so she tells Freddy, I'm not afraid of you. And Freddy cackles. Lisa says, he's in there and I want him back. I'm going to take him away from you and you can go straight back to hell, you son of a bitch. Jesse responds with, no, Jesse's dead. <laughs> but he's still collapsing lower and lower as he says this. Lisa pleads with Jesse again and tells him that Freddy can't hold him. He's losing his grip. Freddy is now fully sitting on the catwalk with his back up against the railing. He looks weakened. He's not doing well. And he tells Lisa, he'll die with me. She kneels in front of him and caringly takes off his fedora. Freddy turns his head away from her because he hates the feels. <laughs> He's like, no, don't make me feel loved. And he says, he'll die with both of us. Then Lisa le leans in like she's going to kiss Freddy. Ugh. His face is so drippy. No. She looks fully uncomfortable. She has... All of the oogie feelings. Mm -hmm. Freddy wraps his knife hand around the back of her head and pulls her in. They kiss. Poor Lisa. It's so gross. Freddy kisses her back, and then he gets the feels again, and he pushes her away. We can see some gas valves starting to open on their own as thunder and lightning start up. Freddy looks like he's about to die. He's struggling, and then a fire ignites and starts crawling along the handrails of the catwalk. More gas valves open and the fire reaches Freddy. He begins to moan and catches on fire. We get a shot of Freddy's face melting in the flames. Lisa is crying as she watches Freddy burn and melt. Freddy fully collapses to the ground on the catwalk. The flames are all around him. Mm -hmm. Then the gas valves start to shut themselves off. Lisa cries. The fire goes out. Freddy's burnt up arm starts to move. Then he starts to climb to his knees. He peels off his burnt-up Freddy face, and we can see Jesse is underneath. He peels off the rest of the burnt-up Freddy skin, and Lisa goes to him. Jesse's all sooty and greasy, and they kneel in front of one another, and Jesse puts his head on her shoulder, and she embraces him as the music turns soft. Aww. So, the roles are reversed here. Love conquers all. Yeah, but I like that he's being rescued vulnerable yeah. and she has to take the lead and like be like no i'm saving you mm -hmm. that was pretty forward yeah also probably another reason why it has a 33 percent yeah score because the chuds can't handle this no they're like no the woman doesn't take the man's lead <laughs> so now we cut to a bright day on the tree-lined street 
a school bus is coming down the road, much like it did in the opening of the film. The bus stops out in front of 1428 Elm Street. Jesse comes out of the door, and his mom says it's good to have him back home. His arms are bandaged in gauze, and he says he can't believe he's going back to school. His mom wishes him a good day and strokes his face. He runs down the sidewalk to the bus, giving a double over-the-head fist pump. He's so excited to get on the bus. Yes. Uh, Maybe I should have been possessed by the spirit of a dead serial killer when I was in high school. (laughs) I mean, like, if it made me appreciate going to school, maybe it would have been worth it. Yeah. He gets on the bus and he sits down with Lisa. Carrie is sitting behind them. Carrie giggles and tells Lisa, that was a really great party. (laughs) So... Seems they're over their trauma of, what, four kids getting murdered? Yeah. (laughs) And Well, it's like, is it supposed to be the next day or... I I get the impression it's been a while. I know, but why was she like, it was a really great party? I think we would have been over the party by now. Maybe they didn't have school for a while because of the murdered kids? Maybe. So the bus continues going down the road and Jesse gets freaked out. He thinks the bus is going too fast. He stands up and screams at the driver to stop. The driver lets a kid on, and Jesse sits down for being crazy when the (laughs) driver looks back at him like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. So Carrie tells him, Jesse, it's okay. It's all over. Then Freddy's knife hand bursts through her chest. We get a shot outside as the bus starts to careen through the desert, and we hear Freddy laugh as the camera watches the bus drive further and further into the desert. Credits. The end. So the body count for this one's up in the air. I, yeah, I don't have a number. I wrote 10, maybe more. I. Do you want to go back and forth? Sure. We'll start with Coach Schneider. Yes. Because he was violated and then his back was slashed. Uh-huh. And it killed him instantly. After some really sexy towel snaps. Yes. Ron Grady. Impaled through the door with finger knives. You didn't count the two birds? Um, I, I put them last. Okay. <laughs> because I wanted to ask you if we include the birds. I counted the birds. But then I put several party goers, but I didn't get an exact number. Okay, so I have party kid slashed. Party kid two burned in a fence fire. Yeah. Uh, party kid three neck stomp trample. Party Kid 4, Guts Stabbed and Wriggled Around, and then Party Negotiator Kid, Slashed and Tossed. Oh. And then we get Carrie, and she gets a Freddy arm stuck through her. Uh Uh-huh. And then I put (laughs) Bird 1, Murdered by Other Bird. Bird 2, Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I love the bird scene so much. It's so horrible. But it's fun. So what were your reactions? I put, okay, so it wasn't that bad while also being really bad. It's super cheesy, but it is effective. And this is where I put, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more as a possession movie or even a couple of times throughout. I thought it would be a great werewolf movie. Oh, yeah. I just didn't exactly see how the whole Freddy thing fit in. Um, the acting was what I would expect of actors in this range. Very overdramatic. The homosexual subtext is undeniable. Oh, yeah. I don't it's, understand it. It's barely subtext. Yeah. Why was it there? Why was there all the S&M stuff mixed in? It was a really odd choice. 
along with the numerous shots of Jesse's crotch. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of Jesse groin shots. Yes. In his tight blue jeans. Yeah. But that's all I had. Okay, I said, objectively, I know this is not a good movie. And despite my best efforts, I cannot take off my my nostalgia glasses for this one. Mm-hmm. I love it. I just love this movie so fucking much. <laughs> and I feel like I owe this movie so much. Yeah. Like, we have this podcast because I saw this movie. Okay. A lot of the acting is rough. The score is real bad. Mm-hmm. The script gets really weak in a few places. Yes. But I really appreciate the practical effects, um, even as aged as they are now. Mm-hmm. I mean... No, like the C-section thing is like... Oh, yeah. Fucking awesome. And for the time, that had to have been absolutely mind-blowing to see. Yeah. And like even um, the last scene where Freddy's arm burst through Carrie's yes. chest. Like so many people had to be sitting in the theater like... How did they do that? Yeah. All in all, it's not a great movie, but I will still watch it anytime. And like I said, I can't take off the nostalgia glasses. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. <laughs> do you have some production facts for me? I do. This is one of the only slasher movies to have a male protagonist. It is. And I kind of wish that it had started. But more of a trend. Yeah. Because I really liked, like I said at the end, I liked Lisa taking the traditionally masculine role. Yeah. And Jesse taking the traditionally damsel in distress role. Yeah. Well, like, I'm trying to think of, like, other horror movies. Like, there's never really just a dude in peril. Maybe a little bit in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yeah. Because that really flipped a lot of the roles. Mm -hmm. That was about the only thing I liked about that movie. (laughs) I already said my fact. It's your turn now. Uh, Oh, yeah. I forgot how we do things around here. (laughs) Uh, Wes Craven passed on directing this one because of the exploding parakeet and the fact that Robert Englund is small and the kids at the pool party would have been bigger than him. And he thought that would make Freddy less terrifying in the real world. Mm. He was like, no, I'm not going to have an exploding parakeet. And Robert England is a tiny person. Nobody's going to be afraid of him running around. Is he really small? I want to say he's like five foot six. Really? Yeah. That's funny because I picture him as being big. Really? I picture him as like six foot something. Really? Yeah. No, I, I looked him up one time and I'm probably misquoting on this. Yeah. But I want to say he's like five, six, five, seven. Huh. The school in the movie is the same school from the Karate Kid. It is. And I knew that would make you happy. I want outdoor lockers. (laughs) That would not have worked in Iowa. No, we live in Iowa. New Line didn't want to pay Robert England, so they wanted to use a stuntman in a rubber Freddy mask. After seeing him in some dailies, they decided they needed Robert England. Yeah. The only scene that isn't Robert England playing Freddy is in the shower. Uh Uh-huh. And they had the guy in the mask. Yeah. And if you notice, his posture is completely wrong. Really? And he just kind of walks like Frankenstein. And I guess after they saw those dailies, they were like, all right, fine. Pay Robert. Yeah. He has, Freddie has charisma. Well, and he's such a physical character. Yeah. That like you have to have that little like arm, co- like the shoulder cocked down and yeah. like the left hip 
cocked out. And... Like he has a Freddy stance. Yeah. The two leads in the movie were born the day before and the day after Valentine's Day. Hey. Which is significant because that is the same as my brother and my sister-in-law. So shout out to Dustin and Millie. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Even though Wes Craven didn't direct the movie, he still gave some input on the script and several things were changed to be more in line with his ideas. Oh. So he kind of gave it to Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Spielberg does that a lot. He's like, okay, guys, I don't want to direct this movie. But I'm going to tell you how to do it. Yeah. That's all the facts I had. Do you have more? I have one more. I mentioned it earlier, but there is a really, really good documentary about Mark Patton's struggles with this movie Mm -hmm. being a closeted gay man um, and just kind of the whole, do I want to do this movie or not? Is this pushing it too far? Is this going to out me? Is anybody going to let me work again? Yeah, I would like to watch that. Um, It's called Scream Queen. Okay. And not to be confused with Scream Queens. Yes, but it's <laughs> it's a very, very good documentary. Yeah. And it goes into how this movie really fucked him up and really fucked his career over. I am sure. Do you have any goofs? I don't. I have a lot. Okay. And as always, these are just the ones I noticed. <laughs> I didn't go looking for these. Yeah. Angie's Fu Man fingers move from her left hand to her right hand when the camera moves. A volleyball hits Coach Schneider in the head during the I'm showering you with balls scene. But then we see a basketball bouncing away. Mm -hmm. Schneider has a towel mark on his butt before he even gets hit. (laughs) Maybe that was just from what he was doing earlier in the night. When Freddie and Lisa are fighting in her house, you can clearly see that it is not Kim Myers fighting Freddie, but... A stunt double that looks absolutely nothing like her. Yeah, You can see the flammable jelly on the catwalk rails before the fire starts in their final fight scene. Mm -hmm. And there's a really bad jump in the scene where Freddy's arm bursts through Carrie's chest. Yes, I did notice that. It jumps really, really badly. It cuts really bad. And Lisa and Jesse actually react before the glove comes out. Oh. They both look terrified. And then the glove comes through. And uh, the bus doesn't have anyone but the driver in it when we see it go into the desert at the end. Oh. You can see through the windows and there's nobody in the bus. Yeah. Couldn't put people in there. It's unsafe. Yeah. Mandy, who are you? I put that I don't think either of us are really anybody in this movie. I said we're certainly not the main characters, but I guess I could be Jesse's mom. But his dad is way too douchey to represent Cam. Jesse's mom has got it going <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> do you want to know who I said you were? Yeah. You're Coach Schneider. No, why? Not in the S&M way, but in the I have the power to punish you and I am going to do it if you are being a dickhead. <laughs> because that was so your persona when you first started being a manager. Yeah. You were like, hey, you know what? Screw your face. Yeah. I'm punching you out. Go home. Yeah. I said I'm the bus driver because if I was driving a bus and a kid started flipping shit in the back, I would totally give him an asshole look when we got to the next stop and be like, what is wrong with you? Do you need help? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we had to dive deep for my who are you. Yeah. Final thoughts and rating. What'd you rate it? 
I kind of want to hear yours first. I rated it a five. I gave it a six. Okay. I wanted to give it a 10, but yeah. this movie is not a 10. No. I think done slightly differently, this could have been a very good movie. I was okay with it being an allegory for a coming out story. I just don't understand why they chose to make it so overly sexual. Yeah. It was just ridiculous in spots. The score was disappointing. The acting was very over the top. There weren't any memorable kills. No. I said other than the coach being strung up, but even that, the kill was weak. The kill was really weak, and it was all the foreplay. Yeah. That... I don't think Freddie added anything to the plot, and they never explained how he was able to take over Jesse's body or kill people in the real world. Yeah. That's my biggest complaint with the movie. Like, if I'm breaking it down by how I scored it, yeah, I'd probably take three whole points off for just the plot. There's being... just a plot gap. Yeah. it's The plot is Swiss cheese. Yeah. That's all I had to say about it. I said a lot of the same things I said earlier. Yeah. I love this movie. I'm never going to stop loving it. It was my start on the horror path. Um, I like that Jesse was given the role of playing the helpless victim and that he took the role traditionally played by women. He shrieked, he screamed, he was stalked by the killer in a cat and mouse game. And in the end, the man needed to be saved by a woman and collapsed into her arms. Mm -hmm. I think the movie was a big step forward by showing very obviously queer subtext yeah, and not really trying to veil it. Mm -hmm. Like they put it on the screen and they were like, we're going to kind of cover this a little bit. And if you don't realize what's going on, that's on you. Yeah. One of the main antagonists was constantly spewing out toxic masculinity. And I really feel like that set against how Jesse is a traditionally female character mm -hmm. being played by a male. I feel like that really pitted them against each other yeah. a lot better because it showed like, look, Jesse is a man, mm -hmm. but he doesn't have to be this toxic asshole. Yeah. He he talks to people about his feelings. He is openly scared. Yeah, he's vulnerable. Yeah. So I thought that was very important. Yeah, it's forward thinking. Um, I took points off for some pacing issues, the score, the acting, the script. But yeah, like I said, I still give it a six out of 10, probably just out of bias. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we uh have a 5.5 out of 10. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I... I feel like that's where it should fall. Yeah. How is that in line with the uh, scores? Let's check it out. We gave it a 5.5. Five. I have 33 pages of notes on this. <laughs> so I'm scrolling way back up far. I have 37, but that's when my font's in 20. I think it was a 33% audience. Yeah. 44. And 44%. Critics or forty six percent critics, yeah. And then I think it was five point four on IMDb. So yeah, we fell pretty much in line. Yep, five point four IMDb. So we were right in line with the IMDbers. Gen X, I hate everything new. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? I don't think so. I just want to remind everybody: DM us your mailing address, and we will send you a sticker 
and some business cards, but you have to promise to put the business cards where people will find them. Yeah, don't just throw them away. That's rude. Yeah. <laughs> and the business cards, they're nothing super special. It has our logo, it has our QR code, yeah. and it has our web address. It's exciting. So you just put that in somebody's hot little hand or in a high traffic area and let them discover the pod. And then maybe they can get a sticker. Oh. Yes. Do you want to do our socials? Yeah. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Franchise Frights Pod, on X, Snapchat, and is it Bluebird? Blue Sky. Blue Sky <laughs> at F Frights Pod. Or you can check out our website at www.franchisefrightspodcast.com. And uh, follow Molly Mac at Aunt Molly's Magic on Instagram for a great person who does amazing art. Yeah. Then you can come back next week when we discuss Annabelle creation. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So until then, remember, remember they they always come come back. back. I wonder how long this was. An hour and 51. That's not bad.